I hope you are all having a great uh, Memorial Day weekend. Isn't it great knowing that tomorrow you have free? Isn't that great? I love Memorial Day weekend. It's one of my favorite weekends. Jen and I yesterday were hanging out, chilling, enjoying the weather, and I just told her, says, man, I love this weekend for some reason. Just having that third day is just nice. Well, this morning, we're going to continue in our series that we've been on, Light in the Darkness. And, and this morning, we're going to wrap it up, actually, and we're going to be looking at a passage in John chapter 4. And we have kind of seen Jesus, uh, the light, living in darkness and coming into dark places in different situations throughout the Gospel of John. And I hope you've enjoyed seeing, and my heart is this this morning, my heart is that I want you to see Jesus for all he is. The fact that Jesus penetrates darkness and exposes darkness because he is light. And we, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're a part of that because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. And this morning, um, I want to start off with this. Here's kind of the big idea. I'm going to share the big idea, and then we're going to look at John chapter 4. And we're going to, I'm going to read verses 1 through 42. That's that big chunk, I know, but I want you to get the whole picture. And then from there, we're just going to dive into it, and we're just going to see what is it saying to us, and how can we apply this to our lives. So the big idea for this morning is this. The true cure for darkness is the introduction to light. The true cure to darkness is introduction to light. Have you ever had a, walked into a place and it's dark, and then the lights come on and all of a sudden it dispels, it exposes all that's there? I have a, I have a child at home that is a, I don't want to say slob because that's a strong word, but she's a slob, okay? She it creates messes, and she's been this way since she was like three. And she'll come home from college. I can't say her name because Snowy wouldn't like that. Um, but anyways, Snowy will come home from college, and her room is clean, and, and she's home for five minutes. And the light's off, and I walk by the room, no big deal, but you go and you turn the light on, and it's like, holy moly, what just happened here? You know, it's like... A tornado struck her room in five minutes, and it's everywhere. In darkness, it's fine, but the introduction to light exposes the darkness, and we're going to see that today in this passage that we're going to read in, in, in John chapter 4. But before I do that, I want to also read something in John chapter 3, verse 20, and this is kind of like our I, I guess our hanger we could hang this on, for lack of a better word, and 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 uh, we saw this, Eileen spoke on this the very first week as we started doing this study. In John chapter 3, verse 20, and I'm going to read this from the message. It says this, everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. Boy, there is so much truth in that, isn't there? Hates God light, does not want to be exposed to the light, for fear of what will be exposed. Now let's go into John chapter 4, and let's just see what we are going to learn today. Starting verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way to 42. Just follow along. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea 
and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Zychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from, the, from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what, are you see what, do you what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and, and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For there, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the, that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. I love that passage. I could stop right there and just pray, and we could just take that. But I'm not going to do that. Um, we're going to go back, and I just want to kind of highlight some key things. Now, I want to ask you a question, because one of the things that we see Jesus doing here, we see Jesus performing CPR with this woman. Now, can anybody tell me what CPR stands for? Come on, this is, I know this is church. You think you can't talk in church, but you can. Anybody, what does CPR stand for? Any volunteers? What's the C stand for? Cardio. What is the uh, P? Pulmonary. What's the R? Resuscitation. So what's going to happen today? By the end of this message, you are all going to be CPR certified. And, and I am CPR certified, but we are going to learn not cardiopulmonary recitation. We're going to learn a different CPR that Jesus performed with this woman. And that's why I say you will be CPR certified when we leave this morning. So let's jump in. And the first six verses, what I want to do is I just want to highlight a, key, a couple of key things before we get into the main meat of what we're going to be covering. But look at verse 3 for a second. Um, verse 3, he said, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. What did Jesus tell his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? He told them at the very end, when he was getting ready to ascend, he said, you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. One of the things I thought that was, no, was interesting is that here we see Jesus taking his disciples through Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. See, his disciples were apprentices. They were his apprentices, his Talmudines. And they were getting a chance to learn from Jesus. And Jesus is showing them what it's going to look like even before he gives them that, that, that command or sends them out to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But look what it says. It says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, right here, Jesus takes his disciples out of way out of their comfort zone. Because, see, a good Jewish boy knows that you don't go through Samaria. In fact, most Jews, what they would do is they were going from Jerusalem to Galilee. That's about a 70-mile trip. It's going to take them two and a half days to walk it. Now, what they would do is they would walk around the side of Samaria, and they would go up the Jordan River Valley to avoid Samaria, which is now the West Bank. And they would go through that area. It, it, it was a harder travel, a harder road to travel on. It was longer, but they would do that because that is how much they detested the Samaritans. So who are the Samaritans? Who are these people? So at one point, we know that Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Both kingdoms started walking away from God. And the northern kingdom first, they walked away from God to the point that God allowed Assyria to come in. And Assyria took over Samaria, um, the northern kingdom, and they took out the Jewish people and, and, and exiled them. And what the king of Assyria did is he brought in other nations to live in Samaria. And Babylon was one of those nations and other nations that I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not going to try to tell you them. 
But there were other nations that came in and lived there that were transplanted. Some of them probably started intermarrying with the, with the remnant of Jews that were left behind. But one of the things that took place was this. These nations brought their own belief systems in, their own pagan gods, their own idols, their own worship style. And things were going bad. In fact, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 17, you can read the whole story. But what ends up happening is God sends lions in to eat the people. And something's not right. And they say, hey, this is not working. And so the king of Assyria hears about it. He sends a priest, a Jewish priest, back to Samaria, to this region of the northern kingdom, to teach these people the practices of the law. So now the Samaritans... These group of people, they start practicing their own pagan rituals along with the law. And what they ended up practicing were the five books of the New Te Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And that's what they looked at, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so what ended up happening was the Jews would look down on these people. They were not legit. In fact, they favored a Gentile over a Samaritan. And so a good Jewish person would not go straight through Samaria like Jesus did with his disciples, through Sychar. They would have gone around. So why did Jesus do this? Because it says here he had to pass through Samaria. And this is what I think. This is my, my thinking behind this and why I think Jesus did this. Look at verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The reason why Jesus had to go through Samaria and go this route was because Jesus was, came to accomplish the work that God called him to. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. How many of you guys have to go to work on Tuesday? Yeah, we all have to go to work on Tuesday. You know, we have to. It's part of what God's called us to do. Our work is our mission field. It's the place that he has us to, to share the gospel, to share the light with other people. Um, God's will for Jesus, um, he had a purpose behind Jesus going through this Samaritan town. Now, the last thing I want to highlight before we jump into our main passage is this. So Jesus, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus had been traveling from Judea. They're going through. It's hot. It's the desert. He's, it's high noon. At 12 o'clock, he is tired. And something we see here is this that I think I want to highlight and, and make sure we understand. We see the humanity of Jesus. And this is really important to understand in this story. We see the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was tired. He was weary. He was hungry. And he had to sit and rest while his disciples went into town to find food. And, and in, at that moment is when we see the story of what we're going to be looking at begin. And starting in verse 7 through verse 9, I'm just going to read this really quick. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Disciples had gone to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, here's the C. Here is the C, and it stands for cultivate. What we see taking place right here is Jesus cultivates a simple conversation with this Samaritan woman simply by asking for a drink of water. And we're going to see this whole conversation take place here because he simply cultivated, took the initiative to ask somebody for a glass of water. 
and took this conversation from there. Now, in that, though, the woman asks a key question. She's like, wait a second, how can you, a Jew, obviously, it was obvious that he was a Jew, how can you, a Jew, ask me for water? And right here, we see Jesus crossing all kinds of cultural boundaries. He crosses a cultural boundary. He crosses a, a religious boundary of the day. He crosses a gender boundary because Jesus was a rabbi. Rabbis didn't talk to women. In fact, rabbis wouldn't even talk to their own mother or sister in public. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the truth in that culture, in that day. And so Jesus was breaking all kinds of barriers at this point. And, she, and she doesn't see Jesus as Jesus. She just sees another Jewish man asking for water. We see the humanity of Jesus, that he comes as a man on earth to engage a dark world by simply asking for a glass of water. Now, in that, in that he says that, uh, she says, you being a Jew, she obviously recognizes this, Samaritans and Jews just do not mingle. They don't talk to each other. But the one thing I want to highlight is this. This was a conversation that we're going to see take place, not a presentation. Jesus didn't have a five-point outline or a presentation of how he's going to share the gospel. He just jives right in with this conversation by cultivating. Now, let's go to the next P. We're going to look at how Jesus plants. How does he plant? A seed here. Listen, look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now we see something here, and that is this. In this verse, we see some deep, deep, deep theology or teachings. And I wonder if Jesus might have talked to the woman in a little simple way. We're getting John's perspective of this. But something I want to highlight, if you have your Bible and a pen, you can even underline these words. But we see in this verse, we see the Trinity at work. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God, that word gift of is referring to the Holy Spirit. All throughout Acts, we see that, the, 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 that when you believe, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is preparing her to understand that when you um, really believe in me, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we see the gift of God. We see the Father involved there. And who, underline that word who, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have, that's Jesus Christ. You would have asked and Again, Jesus Christ, him, and he would have given you, he, Jesus, would have given you living water, the Holy Spirit. That's a deep truth that he is giving. He is planting a seed of truth in her right now that I think is just going, Poof! just kind of like Nicodemus, the chapter before. And so here we see a Samaritan woman that just has no business hearing all this, but Jesus takes the time to explain to her the gift of God through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, and look at her response. Verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. She is like, wait a second, who are you? You, you, look, Jacob, they understood, and the Samaritans, like I said, Jacob was their father. He was their, 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 their generational father, their, their past, and they knew their past, and they knew where they came from. So this well was very important. And by the way, there was more than just one well in that town. And this woman went to the furthest well out because of who she was, and we'll see that in a little bit. But in this She's asking the question, are you greater than Jacob that you can do this? This is a deep well. What are you going to draw with? What are you, how are you going to do this? And listen to what he says. I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now at this point, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, God the Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit. I am Jesus Christ. I want to give this to you. And when I give this to you, you will never thirst again. Now, in her simple mind, she's thinking to herself, score, cha-ching, this would be awesome. I no longer have to go out in public. I no longer have to, you know, encounter people that look down on me and think lowly of me. I can have this water all the time. That would be amazing. Yeah, I want this water. In fact, she says um, in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will never be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water. I think there's all kinds of things going on in her mind at this point. And she doesn't quite get it, but there's something taking place. Jesus is planting this seed of truth in her, and she is starting to soften up, and she is starting to, to warm up to this idea. And I'm going to explain, this is, what, this, this is really important to understand. Jesus says here that that spring of living water will well up. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in us. And what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is like this spring that's just welling up. See, in this, and she understood this because in that day, there were two types of wells. You had what was called a cistern, which basically just held water. Maybe rainwater would run into it. And a lot of those cisterns leaked. Jeremiah actually talks about that in Jeremiah 2. Cisterns would leak sometimes. But there's also another well, which is a spring that kept giving water and kept giving water. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. So she could understand the two differences living where she lived. And so let me explain it to you this way. When we receive the Holy Spirit and it comes and dwells in us, it's a wellspring. We have the Holy Spirit forever. It's kind of like going to your kitchen and you turn on the faucet whenever you want and it's there. That is the Holy Spirit in our lives. Another example would be if anybody ever been to the Blue Springs, I love Blue Springs. One of my favorite springs in Florida. If you've ever, never been there, it's amazing, beautiful. But I read one time when I was there, 36,000 gallons come out of that spring per minute. There's enough water that comes out of this spring that it could give everybody in Orlando, every citizen in Orlando would get 30 gallons a day. It's amazing how much water, and I've been there and I've like swam down into the cave, and it's, there's so much current coming out, welling up out of the earth, that you have to pull yourself on the rocks to kind of go down into it because of the current. And so what we see here is Jesus is saying, you will have a spring welling up from within you that is going to give you eternal life. Now, 
When we think of eternal life, we think of everlasting life. But eternal life is more than just everlasting life. Jesus is referring to eternal life as joy and peace. The Holy Spirit living in us. It's, it's, it's having purpose. It's having hope. It's, it's, it's no longer thirsting for the world. For things of the world. And this woman's like, I want that. Things are starting to come to connect. And she's like, I want that. And she says, give me that water so I'll never be thirsty again. Now, this is where Jesus plants the truth. And here's what Jesus does. He uses this conversation slash question about something physical to introduce to her a spiritual reality. And here's the spiritual reality. And we're going to see that in this next section. And this is where we start seeing the reap aspect. We're now seeing Jesus starting to reap and look what takes place. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. At this point, this woman's like, I want that water. I'm thirsty, but guess what? There's a problem. And Jesus has to acknowledge and recognize that problem. And Jesus brings that problem out. And here's the amazing thing about this. Jesus doesn't condemn this woman, does he? There's no condemnation in this whatsoever. What Jesus is trying to do, and I think this is important for all of us to understand, Jesus is trying to point out to her her sin and helping her identify her sin. And he says, go call your husband. Uh, well, I don't have a husband. And that was a safe answer for her, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I'm single. I don't have a husband. But Jesus keeps going on. No, it's true. You don't have a husband, and you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. And so what happens is, at this point, Jesus points out her sins. And I think this is important to understand. He does not ignore her sin, but he provides a remedy for it. And we see that. Through repentance and belief. And that's what Jesus said. Repent and believe. We see that that's the gospel message of coming to Christ. Saving faith is repenting. I turn from my sin, recognizing and acknowledging my sin, and I believe in Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He, was di he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And I put my faith and trust and belief in that. Jesus did that for my, in my stead, in my place. And... This woman is like, she's there, and she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's like, you must be a prophet, that you know all this. And then she goes on to explain, you know what? Our fathers, they worshiped on this mountain. You guys say we have to worship in Jerusalem. So what, which one is it? I almost feel like there's a genuine question here of which one is it? What am I supposed to do? Where do I worship? And what does Jesus do at this point is Jesus actually, he eliminates the whole religious system for her. He says, it's in neither. Listen to what he says. It's neither. He says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now, you think about that for a second. That's kind of arrogant of Jesus. But what Jesus was saying was right. Salvation was from the Jews. 
And Jesus was coming to tell her, you will one day not worship on the mountain or in Jerusalem. The hour is coming and has now come. That's exciting news. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship, okay, then verse 23. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus breaks down religious limitations. No longer will you worship in a building or a location on a mountain, but you're going to have access. The hour is coming and is now here. The Father is seeking because he is spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Truth being the fact that we worship based on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Spirit being that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we now have an opportunity to worship God in our spirit with his spirit, capital S spirit, small lowercase spirit, our spirit, and we're connected. And so we, it's a heart issue. It's not about where we go, but we worship God from our heart and our spirit. And, and that's what he's looking for. And that's what he's telling this woman. Now she's getting closer. Check this out. Verse, five, uh, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. Think about what just took place in her life. And we know that because I'm going to move along here. We know that this impacted her life at this point because what does she do? She goes back to the village. The disciples are like, they show up with food. And, you know, who knows where they went for food? Um, I have my, my thoughts on that, but I will leave them to myself because um, I get stoned for heresy. Um, but my point is this. They, they, they came back with food, and they see Jesus. Wait a second. Jesus is breaking all kinds of taboos here. Uh, teacher, what are you doing? You're talking with this woman. She's Samaritan. Uh, they're trying to be like, what the heck just happened while we're gone? We can't leave this guy for five minutes, and he gets in trouble. But what it took place is this. this. The woman leaves, and she goes back to her village. Think about this. Something took place at this moment in her heart and in her life. She goes back to the village, to Sychar, and she tells everybody, you guys have got to see this person who's told me everything I've ever done. Come and see. So I like to call this a double reap. Jesus reaped in this woman's life by planting a seed of truth in her. Now she's going to her village, and she's planting a seed of truth and saying, guys, you got to meet this guy who told me everything I've ever done. And obviously they can see something different in her countenance, in her emotion, because they listen to her. And what does it say? Look at this. I gotta, I'm, I'm going to skip down for a second here. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, uh, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him to eat, and he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Who brought him food? But then he says, um, and I'm, I lost my place and I can't find it. So I'm just going to tell you what he said. He told them, The fields are white with harvest. Now, what does that mean? I think what he's saying is, at that point, he said, he said, he told his disciples, look up. The fields are white with harvest. And I think people were dressed in white coming from the village to meet him. 
They're coming to the village to meet him because this woman said, come and see. See a man and meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. And then let's skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So the Samaritans, they asked Jesus to stay with them, and they stayed for two days. And I want to close this last verse. This is so cool. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, this woman had the courage to go back to her village, plant a seed of truth with her village, and tell them, come and see this man that told me everything. They come back out, and we see amazing reaping of a harvest reaped. Just like that. Through Jesus planting a seed of truth, through this woman taking that, and then these people coming back. And I think there's so much that we can learn from this. We engage people every day, and we have an opportunity to cultivate, plant seeds of truth, and see a reaping. And you know what? It doesn't always happen like this. Sometimes it takes years and months. And this is my chance to really kind of hammer our vision 20, for 2022, to pray for three lost friends, three skeptical friends that don't know Christ, that are searching. This woman would have been one of those skeptical people. And Jesus engaged her in a conversation. And you know, I, I, got, I, I could set up here forever, but I want to tell you this one testimony. This year, this past year, we have seen in our discipleship group, we have seen several people come to Christ because we've been praying for them. And we've seen it work. And so I want to challenge you, um, start praying daily for those skeptical friends that you have that God would just bring them to himself, to this place that this woman is at right here in this story that we're reading. And I want to close with this. From the eyes of the woman, there's five things that I think we see here. And I love this because this just totally highlights our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First thing is this, the very beginning, this man, this Jewish dude says, give me a drink. And, and she's like, I had this Jewish guy ask me for a drink. What's going on? But not only that, but he said that I'll never be thirsty again. And then he started telling me all this stuff about me and, and what I have done. I think this guy could be a prophet. I think this guy's a prophet. And then she's like, wait, he's telling me how to worship him, that God is seeking true worshipers. You know, I know there's a Messiah coming, and he says, I am that Messiah. We see Jesus go from asking for a drink of water to being lifted up and glorified to being the Savior of the world. And Jesus is our Savior. And I hope he's your Savior. And he wants you to follow him and walk with him just like he invited this woman to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the fact that Jesus came as a human, that he came on this earth, related to simple people, did not condemn them, did not look down on them, but he modeled for us what it looks like to cultivate relationships, to plant seeds of truth in people's lives, and to see a reaping take place. And Lord, I pray that we would follow your example, Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you are Lord. You are the Savior of the world. 
and that you are the light. And we see how your light, as you came into this dark place, exposed the darkness and changed this woman's life and this community's life. And we're asking that you would use us as a body of Christ, as a family, a church family here, to go out into our world that we live in to be light and to draw people to the light out of the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.